Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Greetings to you, Maleficent. Um, I am actually a Mandalorian right now. Yes, you are. Mel is wearing a onesie with Baby Yoda on the front of it. I like to buy myself consolation prizes when I'm sad. So I have a lot of onesies. <laughs> Those baby Yoda eyes are kind of close together though. I feel like they didn't measure it quite right. Probably not. I don't care. It's comfy. Yes. Mel, how are you doing? I know you're having a rough day today. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anita, when you and I met, it was when Jason had died. Mm -hmm. You didn't know me in my early, early grief. Yep. And you know what? You are going to be witnessing a lot of it because I am noticing similar patterns that I had with Scott that are now kind of happening again with my dad, even though it's a different type of death, like different relationship. I am going through the things and a lot of it is so similar. So apologies to you. I'm a disaster. You know what's so interesting is I know that there are at least three or four people in the Widow Wives Club who have just lost a parent or have been given bad news or their parent is about to die. So I don't know what's in the air right now, but it's not good. Mm -mm. And it's hard. And you know what? I do notice other patterns, too, with how I respond to feelings. 
For example, I notice I still don't like having feelings. <laughs> it's helpful to know what to expect. We also know that we can't expect anything because grief is just so up and down and it strikes at the weirdest times and it doesn't fix it. It's so funny because I just made a post on Facebook about how I didn't know how to do this when Scott died, but now I know how to do this. And I was in that same kind of like two week period after the funeral where I was like not crying, feeling pretty good, feeling like, okay, I can do life this last week or so. And that's how it was when Scott died too, like same time frame. And then it's like a month hits because we just hit a month and boom, it's an explosion. And I go super, super down the other way. So same things are happening. And then I'm mad that it's happening. <laughs> so ugh. do you feel like though that you do have more tools to turn to or do you feel like they're not being helpful at this point in time for you even? I feel like I have tools some of the tools that I usually use, like the tapping, I try to employ those still. Sometimes it doesn't work how I need it to. Sometimes I have my benzos and sometimes those don't work how they need it to. And I think I just am more longing for immediate relief because I've had longer stretches now with Scott being gone where I've had a little bit more time in between episodes, I guess. And so I'm just kind of like longing for something to stop the pain immediately yeah actually i think the best thing is like talking like even right now you asking questions like that and bringing it out and then i'm realizing mel you're not even that far in it's just been a month and here's what set it off you guys oh my gosh you know how i played tennis with my dad and he died an hour later so i've been still playing tennis at our same court i've been fine i've been having a great time same time same court time just with my friend and I've been surprised that I've not had a breakdown or cried or anything. It's just been so, like, amazing and fun. Well, I realized why. This last weekend, my friend and I, we did our usual kind of playing. A, we would just hit back and forth and work on different strokes. We never got to the serves. And my dad had a killer serve. He never even needed a second serve. He he just had this great placement, and it was fast, and I got used to receiving that and getting it over. And so anytime I serve, I can also hear his voice in my head on what to do, maybe some pointers, maybe the ball toss is a certain way. And I didn't realize how much of that was in my head, like for years until Saturday when I got to do a serve and all of that came back. And then I have tanked since then. I mean, like not just tanked, like for a second, like it's been two days and Anita had to come over you guys and help me and I've done two puzzles and people have been helping me and I hate it because my mom's the widow so I should be helping her but I am I think I'm beating myself up that I am having sadness too but I lost a person too and I have to remember that you just used the s word I know and I know better right that's what's yeah. so dumb yeah I'm a human it's annoying but there you go. Anyway, you know what? Sometimes the only thing that helps is just to know that you're not alone. And so I do try some of the tools. Some of them I'm not ready for yet. Not being alone is right now the best thing for me. And yeah. people still thinking. Because, again, like Scott, it's that month after, that's when everybody cuts off. Some of it's just surviving until things get a little less raw. Don't you think? I mean, it's just kind of holding on for a little while. There's not a lot of... Things you can do 
to make it go away because it's just so painful. Yeah, I agree. I'm fine, but I'm not fine. And I'm actually really not fine right now, but (laughs) I'm fine enough to record. And actually what's interesting is our guest, we're going to get into talking about one of her modalities that's helped her grieve her husband and, and heal. And she's helping others with it. She sent both me and my mom copies of what she's going to talk about so oh that's so sweet i know so the widow community is so great i'm so sad that we're all here but glad that we are together and there's been a lot of it seems like extra trauma lately going on in people's lives so yeah i don't know what it is if it's in the northern hemisphere i know we're in winter and things are always seemingly worse in the winter it seems like a lot of people like even famous people have died first part yeah. of the year well and we've got this huge snowstorm that's happening kind of on the east coast meanwhile in utah where we're used to having you know three feet of snow dumped on us nothing so good luck to all you widows out there who are getting snowed on i hope you can get shoveled out of your driveways and you're not trapped in your house if you are call us yes i would like the snow to ski yeah <laughs> oh guess what though i have skied three times this week and played tennis one time this week wow. and I thought that would make me not sad. And I'm still a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't fix it, but I still think it gives you endorphins, and those endorphins can kind of bridge the gap between the hard times, do you think? Yeah, it actually makes me think of you because I know that you were able to run after Jason died, and and I couldn't do any exercise for a few years after Scott died because of my accident. And so this part is new, and I really appreciate it that my body is strong enough to be able to get out and do something because at least for a few hours i'm okay yeah this this reminds me of something else that's topical right now for the northern hemisphere again and that is seasonal um, depression because you're not able to get out into the sun you're not able to get the vitamin d and so it seems like it can be heavier during the winter months just because of of that i went for a bike ride the other day and i've been feeling kind of low and blue and I was like, I still get outside. Like, I don't understand why it's worse in the winter. And then I realized that the only part of my skin is showing is like four square inches of my face because everything else, you know, gloves, hat, coat, you know, long pants. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's not enough sun to, <laughs> to do anything. So it's too bad we can't fast forward about six weeks from now, because guess what? We are going to be in a lot of sun. I'm giving you the honors of making the special announcement. We are excited that we will be joining Camp Widow in Tampa in March to speak and present there. So we are hoping that we will be able to meet some of our old friends and also meet some new friends. So if you're going to be there, let us know. And if you've been considering it and you're on the fence, then maybe this will tip you over. Either way. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, they're going to be there. I'm not going. No, I'm not going anymore. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a little warm weather um, and it should be be fun. And spoiler alert, we bring stickers with us. So I'm just saying. (laughs) Stickers and buttons. Yeah, Yeah. we're fun. Yeah. We would love to see any of you come and we would love to share a taco if we can find a taco place around there. There's got to be a taco place. I mean, come on. Well, and if not, we're making Krista wait be our taco lady. So <laughs> it's official because we posted about it, right? In Facebook. Yes. <laughs> should be should be great. And as another announcement, just a reminder that we're going to be doing a Valentine's Day 
gathering activity for those who are missing their Valentine. You can find out more information about that in the Widow Wives Club. And if you're not in the Widow Wives Club, then you should come join us in the Widow Wives Club. It's a private Facebook group. Yes, you do really have to supply us with all the information that we ask for in the request form. Otherwise, we are not letting you in. Don't get mad at us. Hurts my feelings. Happens. It's true. When we're not prepared for it, it's hard. I know. I'm like, we're just trying to protect you guys. Don't get angry. Or do, but just tell us that you're angry and you don't hate us. (laughs) So this Valentine's event is a paid event because there's a platform we're using that we have to pay for. So it's $30. Check it out. Like Anita said, there's more info about it in the Widow Wives Club. And you can register for the event in the online store that we have at widowwedonow.com. And I just want to point out, if you if the cost of attending the Valentine's Day activity will mean you cannot attend, we don't want that to happen. So please reach out to us if that's going to be a problem for you. Like Mel said, we're having to pay for the platform we're using, but we don't want it to be something where you're not able to attend because we know widows' money is sometimes bleh. Yeah, and we have a variety of widows in different situations, so some are able to help sponsor another widow who maybe doesn't have as much. So it's a great community, you guys. If you're interested in joining the event, again, check in the Widow Wives Club or go to our merch shop where you can get the registration fee taken care of. Anita, how can people also support the podcast? Oh, we have a number of options for you today. The first option is if you join us on our Patreon. Patreon is a website that allows consumers to help support creators. So it's patreon.com slash WWDN. We have a few different tiers and you get some benefits. And one of the benefits is a shout out at a certain tier and above. If you are considering joining our Patreon, just know that we have four tiers like Anita mentioned, and they start at $5 per month. That's like one gallon of gas. I know. (laughs) That's so crazy. But we are going to do our Patreon shout out right now. And that is for our members at the Widow Bestie level and up. And we might even do a different order this week. So this will keep you on your toes. So we're going to start not in our regular order with Melissa Bowers. Heidi Hayward. Tammy Teravest. Did we figure out how to say her name yet? I don't know. I hope we're just saying it right. Tammy, let us know if it's wrong. Deborah Westwood. Laura Keeley. Hello. Brittany Pedro. M.K. Anderson. Jennifer Beal. Gia Benoit. Gina Haas. Kelly Ford. Becky Zyba. Lauren Old. Lindsay Kanopka. Megan Montague. Taylor Snyder. Jennifer E. Hassel. Stacy Saywert. Sam Finlayson, Julie Stevenson, Chris Steffen, Cindy Raynod, Jennifer Brown, Karina Jacobo, Debbie Fells, Vicky Spit, Gail Paxton, Krista the Taco Wait, <laughs> Kathy Murray, Don Barber, Not a Debbie Downer, Leslie Webb, Peter Ruka Vina, Christina Shiflet, Ian Sini. Ms. Jocelyn Milo. Amy Hartman Martell. Sarah Kennedy. Sunshine Haven. Mindy Holmgren. Tara Wallace. Missy Schubert. Mary McGowan. Laura Bradbury. Jenny Wang. Emily Toledo. 
Katie Radcliffe. Constance Dahlbeck. Dennis Brazo. Kirsten Stromberg, newly married. Congrats, Congrats. Kirsten. You guys, we left our house and we went to a wedding. <laughs> Danielle Catterberg. Amy Sapp. Val. The Pecker. Of New York City. Cat. Ivan, the astronaut Meisner. Our secret dead husband who says, We all live in a widow submarine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, except for submarines are terrifying. <laughs> Marie Hoffman. Don Satterwhite. Lori Farrington. The Fancy Lady Joy Kirsch. Christina Scambato. Shannon Helm. Jackie Coyle. Marjorie Lewis. Ashley Hahn. Kara Scara. Jenny Taylor. Jane. Jane. Where's your brain? It's lying outside in the rain. Used to say that. <laughs> Sylvia Yarrow Shore. Karen Cornejo. Rachel Barbosa, happy birthday this week. Ileana Bell. Anna Tracy. Gabe Lozano. Aaron Posick. Jenny Barrow. Christine Anderson. Diana Becker. Sarah Morris. David Kelly. And finally, we end with Woodstain Wendy. Thank you to everybody who's joined our Patreon. We can't believe how supportive you guys are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It helps us to help others, and we know that we could not do this without you. So thank you for helping us so that we can reach more grievers and help more people in need. Now, if you don't want to join our Patreon and you just want to send us on a taco excursion, then go to buymeacoffee.com slash widowwedonow. And if you don't want to do any of those things, it's cool. Just give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a very, very nice review so that when people find us, they realize that it might be a good resource for them to help them in their time of need. Or if you would like to sponsor the podcast in a different way, please reach out to widowwedonow at gmail.com for some more options. Also, remember, we have not talked about this in a little bit, but remember that we have in-person meetups. So if you are looking to attend one in your area, Go to widowwedonow.com. In the upper right-hand corner, click on Meetups. Search for your area, and you will find a facilitator. If you do not find your area, please email us if you are considering being a facilitator. It's seriously not that hard. You just, like, make friends and maybe eat snacks sometimes. We can help you if you want to be one. So let us know. You can also email us at widowwedonow at gmail.com. All right. Now shall we get to this? Let's do it. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're excited about our next guest, and we're just trying to help you guys figure out Widow. We do now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. 
She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hi, Mel. Hi, Anita. You're ready for this? I'm so ready for this. Today, our guest is the very amazing Linda. I always want to call you Linda McCabe McShanty, but that is not right. Like I live in a shanty town? <laughs> no, I just get... Linda, what is it? I get that a lot. Is it shanty? Is it a shack? <laughs> it's Linda Shanti McCabe, like Om Shanti, like like yoga class. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Like, are you partially from India? No, but Shanti does mean peace in Hindu. Okay. Oh, I just want to put a Mick in front of everything. Like, so Mick Shanti McCabe, but that's not right. Mick Shanti would be like, Irish Hindi. Like an Irish McDonald's shake. That sounds good to me. Linda, where are you right now? I am in upstate New York. But I mean, I've been living in San Francisco for 20 years. How long have you lived in upstate New York? We moved back after my husband died and we are two years in our new house. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that you're a widow? I am. That's why I was not afraid of this podcast. We have seen your name before on other podcasts, Linda, and we know friends that are widow friends with you. And so we're so excited to have you today. And we actually got to meet you in San Diego for the infamous Camp Widow. We did. You had the best presentation. No, I, I, lo- I love that your presentation talked about reclaiming widowhood because, I mean, it challenges all the, you know, I think when you become a widow, I mean, at all, but especially if you're not catholic in 85 then you're (laughs) you're kind of like wtf you know like i don't even know how to do this thing yeah who am i i don't like black (laughs) (laughs) listen black is fine but we want to be able to you know change it up also i like black on the bottom tell us how now were you married to your person that died or were you guys not married what was the situation oh I love that you asked that question that's so inclusive we were married for 10 years and um he had pancreatic cancer and that's how he died Ooh. Boo. yeah yeah how old was he when he died he was 59 not cool not cool not cool are you way younger than him? Because you look so young. I I am 13 years younger than him. Okay. Because I'm like, you look even younger than that too. So good job on whatever your skincare regime is. How long did your husband live between his diagnosis and his death? Nine months. Oh, so it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. Do you guys have kids? We have one son. Mm-hmm. And And mm-hmm. how old was he during that whole process? He, well, he was eight when my husband died. And how long has it been? It was two years in July. Okay. So you moved right after he died. Yeah. Which as a psychologist, I would say don't do. (laughs) That's your job is when you like are the one who tells people what to do, then you always do the exact opposite. Isn't that 
how it works? It's so funny, though. I feel like grief and widowhood has, like, tempered me a lot, you know, where I'm like, I, I, I mean, not that I was running around offering people advice very much beforehand, but now I'm like, I, it's okay. I have no advice for you. <laughs> I, I don't know. And it's okay if you don't know. I will help you. Like, I'll stand by you and while you're figuring it out. But I definitely don't have the answers. You're just going to bring them a sandwich and they start crying. Absolutely. Linda, what are your specialties in psychology? Well, speaking of which, I would only bring them a sandwich if they got the feelings out first, because I work with eating disorder recovery. Well, there you go. <laughs> yes. I want the sandwich first, Linda. Come on. <laughs> well, if you're actually hungry, I will bring you a sandwich. Okay. Thank you. If you're emotionally hungry, I'll say, let's talk about the feelings, and then I'll bring you a sandwich. Okay. So did you do, did you treat eating, disordered eating before you became a widowed? Was that your specialty? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started specializing in grief you know, after becoming a widow, but I worked with eating disorder recovery for 20 years now. Whoa. So is that like your main, I can't believe I'm going to say this, bread and butter? Yes. Oh, man. That seems like it's a challenging field. Am I right or wrong? I love it. And I think that's the thing. Even like therapists, like some of them are like, oh, I'd never specialize in that. And some of them are like, I love it. And I think if you love it, that's your field. Right. And I recovered myself. I had an eating disorder 25 years ago. And, you know, and then I, that tends to be the general course of my life. Like I go through something and then five years later, I help other people go through it. Although it's the timeline is getting shorter right now. I'm down to two years later. I help people. <laughs> But with eating disorder recovery, it was like, okay, and then five years later, I was an eating disorder therapist and then postpartum depression. And then like five years later, I was actually two years later, I specialize in perinatal mental health issues. And now grief. And I'm like, two years later, like, I mean, even when I was going through this, I was sort of like, ironically, like, well, I'm probably going to become a grief therapist. I mean, I guess all of those classes in psychology, you really learn how to study things and, and collect data and analyze, right? So why not put yourself through the experiments? Well, I think with healers too, not everybody feels this way, but, um, you know, if you know your person that's guiding you has been through something, then you can trust them a lot more. Absolutely. Yes. We always want to know why are more people not trained in grief counseling? Right? Yeah. Can you tell us? I do not know, but I have that same frustration. I have a doctorate in psychology. Like, nothing. Nothing. I'm like, I guess there's five stages, right? Since then, I've taken a whole bunch of grief counseling classes and found out all kinds of different theories that feel much more accurate. But, yeah. Who's the boss? I don't know. Why? Why? And it's also... Like there's, it's like the universal experience too. It's not like, you know, some other things where like some humans would experience psychosis or some humans would experience depression or some humans would experience anxiety or some humans would experience eating disorders. No, all humans are going to experience grief, but oh, whoops, we're not going to cover that. I have this tangent question that I want to ask you about. Since you're a professional and you have a doctorate, you obviously know everything. So no, remember, I have no advice. I just read, somebody sent me a 
an article in the Washington Post about how the DSM is going to start including, now I'm going to have to try and remember what they called it, um, prolonged grief. And when I was reading about this, I kind of had this push-pull reaction to it. Like part of me was happy that there was going to be more focus or more maybe just information about grief and what was kind of the normal, quote-unquote normal, and when we needed additional help. But then part of me was like, I hate it when we try to pathologize grief because grief is this normal process. And I'm like, I don't know whether to be happy or or mad about it because I do want more resources for grief. I do want there to be more education. I want people to learn about it in school. And if it's in the, you know, if it's in the DSM, whatever we're up to now, then there's going to be more learning and education about it. But at the same time, I don't want it to be thought of as a disorder. So do you have thoughts about that? I feel pretty similarly. Yeah. I mean, Here's the thing. The DSM is for insurance. That's what the DSM is for, you know, and what people come to me for in therapy is healing. So I don't really care what their diagnosis is. Um, If they are wanting reimbursement from their insurance, then obviously I'm going to be ethical and (laughs) give them an appropriate diagnosis. (laughs) You know, so in that sense, I'm glad that it's being considered and that it might open up more accessibility for treatment for people experiencing prolonged grief. Yes. But yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with you in that. Like I, I, grief should not be pathologized. It's not, it's not a diagnosis. It's a normative experience. And the more we pathologize it, the more we keep our whole culture of grief illiterate and make people traveling with grief feel crazy. Now I don't feel so crazy about feeling really conflicted about that. Like, yes and no at the same time. Right, so, right. The DSM yeah. is, has a sketchy history, too, with so many themes. Yes, it like, does. If you research a little bit of its history, it's like it is not pretty and it's controversial a lot. That's so right. So I think That's it's right. smart to feel that way. But it's true that it kind of runs the world in a way, though, too. If you want to, if you want services, you kind of have to fit in the way that it works right now. And again, who's the boss? I don't know. Not us. That's all I I know. I think Linda should be the boss. (laughs) If you want services covered by insurance. Yeah. Which would be really helpful for a lot of our listeners to be able to do therapy and not have to pay for it. Because we're freaking poor widows, you guys. We need some help. Your class that you did at Camp Widow sounded like, and I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what you did, but had a big art emphasis. Is that right? That's right. Tell us about it. (laughs) Okay, so, well, I um, shared from the book that I wrote, which I can talk about, and then we did an experiential where I guided people through a meditation and finding different feelings in your body. Where are they in your body? How do you experience them? You know, do they have a color? Do they have a texture? Do they have a symbol? Do they have a movement? Do they have a weight? Do they have a temperature? You know, that kind of thing. And just imagining that if you, if you don't have a somatic sense, but once you kind of break out of the judgment of feelings, like, you know, I shouldn't be feeling, that's a whole nother discussion. I shouldn't be feeling whatever it is that you judge yourself that you shouldn't be feeling. A lot of times it's anger or sadness, Um, but sometimes it's happiness, you know, that comes up for widows too, right? Shouldn't be feeling happy. 
Um, so once you sort of set that aside, then you can be with the actual experience of it. Like, oh, well, sadness is heavy, slow in my chest, you know, blah, 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 right? Anger is a knot in my stomach, fast moving, and then tight in a ball or right, whatever it is. Um, and then I had people draw those. And then we listened to the wisdom that they had to offer. The wisdom that the feelings had to offer or the wisdom that the widows had to offer or both? Both. Both. <laughs> Did you learn things that surprised you from the people that came? Um, I didn't, but I think maybe they did. Because I think once you start like developing that relationship with your body and your feelings and your own wise self, it's surprising to you how much wisdom you have. That's always amazing to witness. Did you use this kind of art therapy before you started doing grief work also? Did you use it with your eating disorders and postpartum depression treatments also? Yeah, I think art has always been, I, I was the kid that was always drawing. Yeah. So it's always been sort of a refuge for me. And then when I first got into eating disorder recovery, I started coming back to art. And I did the artist's way with Julia Cameron. I have a question about the artist's way because I actually have the book, but it has this warning before it says you need to make sure that you have time to do this. So I, of course, was like, well, I can't do that right now. I have widow brain. Will you tell us a little bit about what The Artist's Way is? So, yeah, The Artist's Way is, it's a great book, but it's pretty, it is pretty intense. There's a lot of exercises in there and it can be overwhelming. And I, I, so for that reason, I probably wouldn't recommend it to widows because it's so much and it's good to do with a group too, I think, because then it's more fun. It's a lot like she has exercises at the end of every chapter and it's like, make a collage about this and write about this and take yourself on an artist day. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's great. It's profound. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so, but I got into the artist way and, um, and she's clearly a 12 step person, which I liked. She's very spiritual. So she's always kind of guiding you back to your own wise self and a power greater than you. And she does this thing called morning pages so that I would recommend where you just do three pages stream of consciousness when you get up in the morning. She calls it brain drain. It's like a moving meditation. And I think that's great just to like get all those thoughts swirling about out. And so then the wise part of you can start to go, oh, that's really interesting that you're thinking that thought over and over again. Like, hmm, that one shows up a lot. Do I really want to believe that one? comes up every morning in the morning. Baby. But yeah, when I got into recovery, I started coming back to art. And then I went and got a master's in non-denominational divinity with a focus in art, which is so cool, but not very pragmatic. But yeah, that's what I did. And then I was like, what am I going to do with this to pay the rent? And so I started bringing art into substance abuse recovery. And, and doing facilitating groups. And then I realized, oh, this is really profound, but I need a degree in psychology if I'm gonna go further with this. So then I went back and got my doctorate in psychology and focused in art and used art to re-image the body in eating disorder recovery. That's what my doctoral research was on, was using art to re-image the body in eating disorder recovery. After my husband died, it, it was like a natural place of refuge that I went back to. First of all, because grief is just so like wordless in a lot of ways, a lot of times. And it was a meditation for me. 
And it also was a place that I could go to where I could like say the things that it's so hard in, in grief to like know. A lot of times you find out by default, like who can be with it and who can't. And I didn't have to worry about that with art. I just could, you know, kind of vomit on paper and it, it would all be fine. You know, I could be angry. I could be sad. I could be mad. I could be numb, widow brain. Like I, I did, I literally drew widow brain, widow fog, you know, like all that compost heaps. Flies buzzing around the... The stinky manure. Yes. <laughs> the stink lines going up. <laughs> So I'm curious, we kind of talked about this a little bit, how, you know, you're an expert on these things, but then when you're going through them, sometimes all your expertise flies out the window and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Did you find that to be the case or did you feel like, I know what to do. I know how to kind of work through this and express myself through this art that I have used in the past. I would say both. Like in a way, I mean, I felt, like I think most people do in grief, like I felt completely lost and like, I don't even know what the terrain is here um, on the one hand. And then with, I think the thing about art was I knew that was okay in art. It was okay to be in that place in art. I did not have to have a map. The art could hold it all. And so I could literally like draw myself, paint myself, collage myself a map with, you know, charting my way through the grief. It was like a way for me to do that. And I kind of had an inkling that I wanted to have it be of service to other people traveling with grief. You know, like that was kind of in the back of my mind the whole time. But I didn't know. I also gave myself permission to not know. Like when I started writing the book, I thought it was for kids and it totally did not end up being for kids. Um, totally ended up being for grownups. Uh, although there is an affirmation for kids in there, but um, the art is a beautiful place to not know, right? Cause it's like, you don't have to know. That's the whole point. It's blank. And then you create it. I was going to ask if you used it for your son as well. And it sounds like maybe yes. Cause the book was supposed to be for kids at first. The book was originally called Papa's Paint Box. So I had an art therapist because all therapists should have therapists. Um, so I was literally, and this was in the pandemic. So I was in a session with her in Zoom and, you know, my son was home because, you know, home is school in a pandemic. And so he walks into my session and he goes, oh, you're here. I'll hold you up a picture. And it's like a toolbox and it was filled with paint and it's from my husband and it was his paint. He was also an artist. He was an engineer, but he was also an artist. And he was like, oh, you're using Papa's paint box. And my art therapist just looked at me and she's like, that's the title of your book. <laughs> I didn't turn out to be the title, but um, that became one of the affirmations about like, what do you do with their stuff and how do you make new meaning? And the, all the things they leave behind. Um, so my son was, I mean, obviously he was here throughout the whole process and um, witnessing it. And I definitely encouraged him to make art and he made some art, um, but he's, he was also eight. So he wanted to play Minecraft, you know? <laughs> so the thing that I, that helped me that I like, because in the beginning, I was like, come make art with me and, you know, let's journal. And, you know, I was worried he's not talking about his feelings and, you know, all that. But like, you can't, you can't force it. 
and and they're going to do their grief the way they're going to do their grief and and the the children's the, the the literature on children's grief shows that the best resilience is to witness their parents um their surviving parents navigating grief you know like so that really helped me i was like okay well that i can do you know like so i created an art room and i started painting and tasting the whole thing so yeah my next thing is now that the book is done is I want to get certified now that I'm certified in grief counseling I want to get certified in um, rainbows which is a a grief counseling thing for kids I have a question do you guys take your art and put it on the fridge (gasps) I was gonna ask the exact same thing okay we have we have some of my son's art on the fridge because my son makes like small like sort of little comic-y book art most of my art's pretty big on like big boxed canvases so like you would like knock over the fridge so mine is not what do you do with all of the art when it's done I feel like that would almost be stressful for me because I wouldn't want to throw it away, but also right. where do you put it all? Well, thankfully, a house in upstate New York is like one seventh the cost of a garage in San Francisco. So there's lots of wall space <laughs> here. So yeah, the whole house is covered in art. <laughs> I also have an art room. I think, you know, people have started to ask me for, do you sell it? And so far I I haven't, but I think maybe I might start making prints. Um, But yeah, I'm getting to the place where like, I don't have more wall space. So, and I'm still painting. So it's just like, I'm going to start creating a stack. Doesn't stress me out though. Okay, good. Do you want to tell us about your book and what it did turn out to be? It's called After Your Person Dies, uh, Affirmations for Grief, Making Meaning and Going On. And um So that's what it is. It's a collection of all the paintings I did the first year and affirmations to go with them. So is it a workbook, kind of a journal-y thing, or is it you are just supposed to do the affirmations or just see what you did? I don't know if any of that made sense, what I just said. That totally made sense. And it is not a journal, although I've been encouraged to do that as a follow-up. So we'll see. So everybody does like workbooks on the books that they wrote now. Um, So maybe we'll see. But right now it's not. Right now it is. um, So I did this one painting and it's got, it's kind of loosely based on the six stages of grief because now there's the sixth one, which is Um, finding meaning so there's an affirmation for each of those and then there's one on um, how grief is physical and there's one on how grief is a compost heap and there's one on the things they leave behind and there's one on being a phoenix and there's one for kids there's one on grief being a tsunami wave grief is not linear how did you have energy to do this and you're not even you're like two years out we are getting out of bed sometimes (laughs) and you're publishing books killing it you know i think it really gave me like it gave me a purpose i think i part of me was just so determined that this would have meaning you know i think it was like a post-traumatic growth thing like this can't have been meaningless. And also, I mean, I mean, I think you, 
you might have this. I know, I know a lot of widows and a lot of, a lot of people traveling with post-traumatic growth are like, in a way it makes you more, it, it makes things like some of the things that used to seem like they really mattered, you know, like getting your library books back on time or, you know, I mean, that's important, but you know what I mean? Like the things you used to stress about, you're just like, that's just really not a big deal. You know, and the things that like you used to think, like my husband would, we used to live right across from the ocean in San Francisco. And so he'd be like, let's go out to the beach and watch the sunset. You know, and I was like, it's close to bedtime. And every time we go to the beach, we come back and we have all this sand on our feet and like, no, and school night. And and now I'm like, oh my God, he was so right. Like, we should have gone to the beach every night. <laughs> That's so interesting because, yes, we we do feel those feelings of like, man, that was not important. But bedtime now has become way more sacred to me than it was before my husband died. Like now I'm like, I don't care if the sun is setting. You are going to bed right now. Like, <laughs> and I didn't used to be like that. I was like, eh, we'll go to bed when we go to bed. But now I'm like, please, 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 everybody get in their bed. I don't even care. Well, it's 6 p.m. Get and how bed. many kids do you have again? They're like, why, mom? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> I have four. God. That's right. Wow. It's called yes. desperation. Of course. <laughs> Melatonin for everybody. I call it vitamin M and I just don't even care anymore. So I'm looking at your site, Linda, and and I'm seeing something called The Art of Grief, an expressive arts group for widows. And it looks like this is something that people can it's a group thing, right? And people can sign up for that. What is that about? Tell us a little bit about it. That's right. It is a group. But you do, I cannot underscore this enough. Do not have to be an artist. You do not have to be an artist. You do need to be a widow. You do not have to be an artist. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, and we're not going to, you know, paint. We're not going to do fine art. We're not going to like do anatomically correct art at all. We're going to do things like, journaling and altered books and collage and altar making and uh, altar making like making altars yep. with things yep awesome yep what about bob ross painting i don't know bob ross who is bob ross what he was on tv like 80s was it the 80s and 90s the and joy of painting okay all right Interesting. Well, I'm with him in the all you need is the desire to make beautiful things happen on canvas. Although you don't have to use canvas and they don't have to be beautiful. But he was big on like, yeah. anybody can anybody. Can okay, that things. I'm on board with. Yeah, that is this group. Mm-hmm. That is this group. But they don't have to be beautiful. You know, grief isn't always beautiful. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. I think it's good that people are not artists when they sign up for these things because sometimes when you are an artist and you've already been in that for a while it might be colored no pun intended a little bit differently and and the discovery is a, is different and I'm I'm just saying this as a musician because I still work in music and music is one thing that people often turn to in times of grief as well and and I don't relate on the same level because it's my job at the same time and I have to separate things so it's interesting because 
I love that people are discovering new talents or even if it's not a talent, it's just getting it out of their body. So tell us some of the benefits to non-artists signing up. Well, and I think um, just going along those lines too, I think it's, it's good to, it's like, I think it's easier to have beginner's mind when you're not in your own field. Right. Yeah. So that's where like, I can, I can relate with like, that's movement for me too. Like I don't have expectations when I'm dancing or running or biking. It's just like moving my body. It's fine. It's great. You know, whatever it is, but I'm not, you know, cause I'm not like training for something or, you know, it's just moving my body and art. I'm a, I can be a little more perfectionistic. I think, well, the difference between fine art and expressive art is just that, that expressive art is about the expression, right? It's not about the product. Like the product is your life. Your life is the art. You are the art. So you expressing what you need to express, you finding a new way to be with anger, you finding a new way to be with sadness, you finding a new way to relocate your person in your heart and your memory and your life and your altar, which is your life, is the art. It's eight sessions and it's widows and it's not drop-ins on purpose because I want people to you know, get to know each other. And that's part of the container too, is so you can hold that space for each other. And it says that you get art supply packages mailed to you. You do. So it sounds like if they sign up, then you're set for all the things. What are soul collage cards? Soul collage is a really fun art modality where you get these. And if you sign up for the group, I'm sending you a package, but otherwise you can get them on soulcollage.com. I don't get any money from saying that. Um, they're these five by seven cards. Um, they're like, um, like thin cardboard, they're mat board and you collage one side and you leave the other side, um, blank, either blue or white, depending on which side you collage. And each card represents an aspect of your multifaceted self so you're building this whole deck of cards um and there's different suits in the deck of cards like there's suits in a normal deck of cards you know like aces spades so in a soul collage deck of cards there's different suits like there's the committee suit which is all the different psychological aspects of yourself like your perfectionist your inner child your procrastinator your you know whatever that there's the committee suit and then there's the companion suit and there's the council suit the council suit is archetypes and the companion suit is um let's see i mix up two of them but anyway one of them is um your animal guides and one of them is people who have had who have had or made a significant impact in your life um and it could be i mean it's obviously it's like your family members your person but it could also be like people that you have admired like i have oprah winfrey or jane goodall you know in my soul collage deck and i've never met either of them linda i'm super impressed by you you seem I don't want to sound offensive by saying this, but you seem like you're a a, a, a wise widow beyond your years of widowhood, if that makes sense. Like you seem like you're further than two years out just because, and maybe it is because of your background and having this way to really express yourself. But if I was talking to you, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, she's two years out. I'd be like, she knows what's up. Yeah, I was surprised when you said two mm -hmm. years. I thought you would have been like 12. Which... I don't know if that's a, if you take that as a good thing or a bad thing. I'm sure it's still hard for you. I'm sure you're not like, oh, I'm, you know, 
I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm done with this grief business. And now I teach others. Well, actually, let's talk about that. What has your grief looked like in the past few months? In the past few months. Yeah. Gosh, it's so, it's so, it's so, it's such a nonlinear journey, isn't it? Um, But let's see, in the past few months, well, Camp Widow was really fun. So was that your first Camp Widow or have you been before? That was my first in-person one. I went to the the virtual virtual one. Yeah. Yeah. And that was good. Honestly, I, I didn't go to a lot of the presentations because I did find that that was, um, you know, it's amazing to meet and connect with other widows and widowers. And it's also like, wow, this is kind of intense. Um, yeah, in terms of grief, really, that was really cool and really hard, um, all at the same time, which kind of summarizes my grief journey, really. (laughs) Yeah, past couple months, I think two years was a big milestone. Second year was harder than first in a lot of ways. Um, first I had a lot of big life changes that I was navigating. So I I don't want to say, I mean, it was wasn't distracting because grief was like very much there, but it was also like, okay, I'm steering this ship. No one else is here. So I, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm steering this ship straight into the rocks, folks. That's what's happening right now. (laughs) That's how I feel. No, but I was very focused on, you know, like the, like, get the house and get my son in school and get us all into grief counseling and settle the estate and you know what I mean and then the dust started to settle a year or two and I was like whoa okay this is hard you moved back to be by your family so how has your family supported you through all of this my sister's amazing she is not a therapist but she should be one but she does where I mean she works in kind of psychology adjacent field <laughs> she, she's her specialty is working with um children and and child care providers um, but she 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 knows a lot about like child development and and relationship oriented attachment sort of stuff so she was you know one of the people that was not saying stupid things to me in grief right you know she was like the one that was listening you know, or I'm noticing this, or, you know, how do you feel about this? Or I'm thinking of doing this, would that be okay? Or, you know, like just really helpful, solid, you know, in an understated, but really grounded, loving kind of way. And my mom was, so my dad died like three months before my husband. So my mom became a widow three months before me which was interesting. Um, and, you know, we're on a parallel process in some ways. And in some ways, it's a very, very different journey. And so, you know, there's some ways I think we really relate to each other in other ways that we're just on very different, you know, journeys, because we're in different places in our lives. Can we talk about parenting as a widow? Oh, my God, yes. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Any advice? Anything to tell me? Help me! <laughs> screen time. It's all about the screen time. 
<laughs> oh man, has it been the most challenging thing of your entire universe, or have you just been like amazing and coped so well? Uh, depends on the I, moment. There can there can be some middle ground, I guess. I made that very <laughs> made that very <laughs> well. And you have Black four kids. Good God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I and this is true. Like people think, you know, therapists, you must, you must be like so amazing, and you know, your life, and you know, you must counsel all your friends for free, and you know, you must have this miraculous marriage, and no, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's why therapists have therapists. <laughs> um, but I think it. I think. Um, what has helped is like, I got, you know, I got both my son and I into resources. Like, I think that's what, that's one of the things that being in this profession and maybe it's like being in this profession or being in recovery or just being a growth oriented human. Like I, I was like looking for resources and setting us up with resources, like right away, like all through my husband's sickness. And then like, after he died, I was like, okay, we need grief counseling. We need, you know, we need to be in a group. We need to like, let's, you know, um, and partly because I was like, I have no idea, you know, um, I don't know. So I, you know, I need help and I need help guiding my son. So that, you know, that was helpful. And I'm learning as I go about kids grief. And sometimes, you know, like I'll say this. So I've started dating and I am noticing with my son, I think this is where learning about grief counseling has been helpful like have you heard of the the dual processing model right have you heard of that one where like you you vacillate back and forth between like things falling apart and you're totally in a grief spiral and then the rebuilding and the creativity and the post-traumatic growth and then you're back in the grief and falling apart and like I can't get out of bed and oh my god he's still dead and then you're back in like whoa I'm not afraid of anything like I am superhuman like this is important and this is not it's so clear to me now like what is important in life it's all about love and you know and then and then you know what do I really want to do because I know I have limited time and who do I want to be because I have limited time and then you're back in the grease spot right you're back and forth back and forth um so my son I see him doing this with with me dating like part of him is like papa you know and he's pulling out you know the my Jonathan, my husband's phone, and he's looking at pictures, and he's like, I miss Papa, I miss Papa, you know, and then new guy comes, and he's like, so excited, and like, oh my god, he knows how to play Minecraft, he knows how to play Sudoku, you know, and like, and oh, he let me use his camera when we went to Letchworth, and take pictures of all the leaves, and like, ah, you know, and then I miss Papa, I miss Papa, you know, and he's like, he's, I see him bouncing back and forth, and bouncing back and forth, and that's where it's cool to kind of know, like, okay, that's like, that's grief, that's normal, yep. That's so interesting because just you saying that, I'm like, oh, I guess kids would do that too, which is like a total like slap yourself in the forehead. Yeah, duh, Anita. Of course they do that. But just hearing it like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And they also, I think the thing that's different for them that I'm learning as I go too, and I'm kind of dreading this, but I'm just like, I'm grateful I'm aware of it, is they grieve forward. I mean, obviously we grieve forward too, but we are, as adults, we're looking back you know, we're always looking back at what was lost and we're grieving our future too, especially as young widows, but we're not, you know, like, we're not like, like our children are going to live their way into 
all these developmental milestones without their person. And we are grieving that now because we know that, but they don't know it yet. So like, they're going to grieve their way through like graduating from high school and, you know, not having their dad walk them down the aisle or not having, you know, like right now, my son is like, you know, his dad's obviously not coaching any of the sports teams, you know, like <laughs> if he is, that means they were desperate for coaches. I mean, like nobody signed up. <laughs> I like the term forward grieving. I don't think I've heard it couched in those words. So that's that's a good way to explain it. They're grieving the things that are going to come up in the future and they don't know about those yet because they haven't experienced them yet. And then when they get there, it's like this big brick wall. It's like dad's not here for that or mom or, you know, whoever it is for that for that child. Linda, we have enjoyed talking to you so much today. You're so much fun. And I hope we get to see you again in the future, perhaps at another Camp Widow, or maybe in an art class. Only if you have Bob Ross style in there, So you got to do your research. He has very unique hair. <laughs> and we will link to your website for those who are interested in checking out Linda's program. It sounds really fun. And before we let you go, we have one important question. Because all of this stuff was not important. This is actually important. Anita, would you like to do the honors? Linda... Do you like cheese? And what is your favorite cheese if you do like cheese? Oh, that's a great question. I got to say brie. Do you like it to be warmed and covered in anything or are you just straight brie? Straight brie and crackers and cheese. Okay. She knows what she likes. No, I mean grapes. Sorry, grapes. <laughs> we already said cheese. It's totally fine. Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. To all our listeners, and even Linda, I mean, whoever, if you want to join us in the Widow Wives Club, come find us on Facebook. <laughs> it's a private group for those who have lost their romantic partner, no matter your orientation, your marital status, none of those things. We don't care about any of those things. So just come join us. Make sure you answer all the questions to get into the club. If you want to keep the podcast going, come find us at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash and if you'd like to buy us tacos, check out buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Linda. And we're just two young widows and one widow who needs to do some research on Bob Ross. <laughs> and we're all just trying to figure out and help each other figure out how to paint like Bob Ross. <laughs> and <laughs> widow, widow we, we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what one, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option and you just want your phone to work. You want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. and You still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? <laughs>
Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.